Father God, we thank you. You're a great God in our life. Merciful, long-suffering, suffering and full of grace. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us each week. And we just praise you for keeping us, protecting us and watching over us as you lead us and guide us. Lord, guide each day. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would touch us again as we preach part two. Nehemiah and his burden to rebuild. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to us as a people. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we spoke about how Nehemiah, being a cupbearer to the king, received a visit from his brother and certain men who told him the calamity that was taking place. The walls were broken, burned down the gates. And Nehemiah said in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8, he said, remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. I want to take a few moments to reflect on something I try to teach you as a pastor to look at the theme of the sermons through the weeks and the months. And if you look at the theme recently, how God has spoken to us that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we have been chosen. And then we spoke on the subject of restoration, how Jeremiah came as the prophet to speak out because the people were being disobedient to God. And we preached two sermons on restoration. And then last week we spoke about Nehemiah and the building of the wall, which we touched on previously in the sermon on restoration. Way back in the Old Testament, God told Moses that he would scatter the people when they were disobedient. Ezekiel the prophet came 
many years later. And he prophesied to the four winds, to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west, that those people that were scattered, that God would bring them back to a place called Israel. In 1948, for the first time in thousands of years, Israel became a nation. It's called restoration. In the Six-Day War, the Jewish people regained Jerusalem. As we know now, the capital, where the embassy is, finally a president. All prior presidents had promised to move the embassy to Israel, to Jerusalem, and failed to do so. This is a little sidebar that I want to present to you for a moment. The key word, I believe, that the Lord has been speaking to myself as a pastor, to those in the body of Christ, is restoration, to restore all things. God has restored Israel in a sense that he's bringing people back. But I asked the Lord, what about the church? You see, the church has been scattered also. And a lot of it's been scattered through false doctrine and false teaching. The emerging church, which a lot of people have no idea what that is, are the many people that helped to build the megachurches. Some who sold their houses, put their deed in the offering plate, sold their gold and silver and threw their jewelry into the offering plate to build megachurches. And many years later, the emerging church, if you follow it, by the millions, have left those churches. Disillusioned. Because man built his kingdom. Man lived his lavish lifestyle. Man took advantage of the people. And that emerging church is wandering in America without a shepherd. And the shepherds that are appearing aren't teaching them the word of God. What's God saying? I believe God is saying this, that God wants to restore the church as in the time of the book of Acts. He's getting rid of those that desire not to be obedient to God. You say, Pastor, is that grace? God has always had a church within a church. Look in the days of Noah. There was millions of people on the earth. But yet God only chose eight. Because the others were disobedient. Look in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. Look throughout the Old Testament. Whether you talk about Esther. You talk about those that came through to preserve the church and the remnant. Who spoke out, who were not afraid 
I remember when I was a young man preaching the gospel many years ago. How many times did I preach and say to the church, and I knew that many of them did not understand what God was saying through me, the church will return to the home where it began. Without the fanfare, without the nonsense, without the political stuff, without the banter, without the backslapping, without the appeal for money, the church will return to its place of restoration. And that church will make a mark on this world. You see, in foreign countries, it's already being restored underground, in houses, in Bible studies. Not in mega churches, in small groups here and there, storefronts in America, where no one knows who that pastor is, who struggles, who goes to work to support his church, to pay the bills of the church, but has an anointing on his life to speak the truth and is not recognized by others who deem themselves so important that the little man is lost in the shuffle. But I'm reminded what Jesus said. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament about people being scattered. And I believe we're in the age and the moment of restoration. You see what's going on in the Middle East? You see the turmoil? We're coming to that great day when the Lord will come. We're coming to that great day when the Lord will appear. That's called the rapture of the church, which many people never preach about anymore in the body of Christ. I just wanted to give you a little sidebar on that. And I want you to look at the word prosper. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, it's an interesting word. And I told you last week there was a few words I wanted to talk about. The concept of those words. And prosper is one of them. You see, Nehemiah asked the Lord to be attentive. That's a bold statement. Say, God, listen to me. Hear my cry. I'm speaking, Lord. And make thy servant successful today. That's what he's praying. Lord, change the heart of the king. Because there was one person in between the rebuilding of the wall and his prayer, he needed the permission of the king. Lord, change the attitude of the king. This prayer was prayed in the month of December. If you go back to the first chapter, to the first verse. So what happened? He prays a prayer in, Dece in April, in December, excuse me. He has a desire, a need that he wants to be met, was willing to make himself available to help build a wall. He acknowledges his need before God and says to the Lord, 
Make me successful. Help me to prosper. You see, when Nehemiah prayed the prayer in December, and when you pray a prayer, it sets in motion and allows action to be taken by God who hears your prayer. A lot of people get discouraged because they pray today and by this afternoon the need isn't met and they get mad at God. God doesn't wear a watch. He's eternal. Sometimes he comes at the midnight hour. Sometimes he comes when the sunrise appears. He comes at different times concerning different situations. But know this, if you're following God, providence and destiny will follow your life. Hear what God's saying here. When people are seemingly beyond the power of change, prayer is the tool that gets the job done. I'm going to say that again. When people are seemingly beyond change, we give up. We say, well, what's the use? That's never going to happen. We say that for our own lives. We say that for people that we know, our family and our friends. And we, we throw the towel in like a boxer in the ring and say, what's the point? Why even pray? Why use the breath that God gave me for that? When they're not responding, we don't know. What's going on in a person's life? All I know is when I pray and you pray, it sets in motion something in heaven. It sets something in motion with the angels of God. It sets something in motion in the spirit world. Something happens. Because if we don't believe that, then we have no hope beyond the grave, my friend. Because if we don't believe that, then we don't believe there's a deity. We don't believe there's a prime mover. We don't believe there's a God that spoke all of this into existence. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to believe there is no God. He wants you to believe that this is all a figment of your imagination. Prosper means, in Hebrew, in this verse, to come mightily. Think about it. And this is one of the definitions that I just love. It means to break out. The word prosper here means to advance and make progress. The word prosper here means to succeed and be profitable. It means to bring to a successful issue. Now I want to stop here for a moment. Because a lot of people are stuck. They're stuck in their own mud. They're spinning the wheels in their back tires and they don't even know it. Because, you know, you can get in such a routine and a rut that the enemy tames your faith. The enemy tranquilizes your faith. The enemy tranquilizes your vision and your dream of what God wants to put in your heart. Not what you want. Not your will. And we'll talk about the cup later. Three John two, the third epistle of John says this. Beloved, that's you. I wish above all things 
Now that's a big word there, the word all. Third epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 2. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper mm. and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Now that's New Testament. Do we not have the verse? New Testament. The word prosper in 3 John 2 means to grant a prosperous and expeditious journey. That's your walk with God. It means to lead by a direct and easy way. It means to be successful and to be well off. It means that God wants to meet your needs. Follow this now. He says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. That means to be sound in your body, to be well, to make whole, to restore someone to health, to be in good health. It also means of Christians whose opinions are free from any mixture of error. Teaching which does not deviate from the truth. You know, when Jesus was going to return to his father, and in Matthew 24, the disciples came to Jesus and said, well, Lord, what's going to be the signs of the end? And before Jesus went into the discourse about earthquakes and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars, he turned to the disciples and he said, let no man deceive you. Jesus was more interested in them knowing about deception than about what was going to come upon the face of the earth. And this is what God is trying to say to us. He's trying to say, as you grow spiritually, this is what I call an if-then hypothesis. He says, Behold, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. It sounds there's a connection between being successful, prospering, that God will show you the way on the journey for your life, not what you want. Not what you're trying to put into play, but what God wants. Follow. The spiritual wisdom and knowledge of God is directly linked to your soul prospering spiritually. Let me give you an example. God talks a lot about money in the Bible. If you go to the book of Proverbs, just alone, you can gain a lot of wisdom and knowledge about money and business. God tells you what to do. He tells you what not to do to be successful. That's wisdom. The Lord speaks to us and he says to people that want to have a relationship with someone, be not equally, unequally yoked. That's wisdom and knowledge. You will prosper. Your journey will be made easy if you listen to what the word of God says. Not what you say. Not what your carnal spirit says. And the reason people don't prosper and the reason that their journey never breaks out, 
The reason why they never advance and make progress is because they're not feeding their soul the Word of God. Listen, when you read the Word of God, you're going to get information that through the Holy Spirit, if you desire, will be turned into wisdom and knowledge of God. How many times have I seen people violate the Word of God and not get blessed? Listen, God can't bless what you're not. He can't bless what you're not. We go around saying, this is who I am. Who are you? Who am I? We have different faces. We, we, we try to sort of smooth people into thinking and making them believe, this is who I am. It's not true. Who you are is what God wants to make you. And that's what God's going to bless, because God don't bless a mess. And people are asking God to bless a mess. And he will never bless a mess. But we keep trying and we keep asking God to bless my mess. Bless my mess, God. I'm going to be happy. Listen, there's no person on this earth, there's no job on this earth, there's no amount of money on this earth that's going to fill the void in your heart that Jesus Christ alone can fill. Some people think if I get this man, if I get this job, if I get this promotion, listen, it wears off in a few days. If that's what you're depending on. If you're depending on all that love from one person, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to come up empty and come up short. God is saying something to us. He's saying success is a biblical principle, but it's based on your soul receiving the word of God. Many people's souls are lean. They don't want to hear it. They escape. They avoid the preaching of God's word under the anointing. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11. I'm going to read it again in the ESV version. It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success. Hmm. Instead of the word prosperity. It says, and to give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This word success means an achievement, an accomplishment, a victory, a triumph, a realization, an attainment. The opposite of success is failure. I hear so many people say, oh, I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid to fail. You've already failed. Because you're not breaking out. You're not making progress. You need sleep, go to the bathroom every day, and you do it every day, every day, and there's no vision, there's no hope. It's mundane. It doesn't work. And that's why people are miserable. That's why people become cantankerous. Because they start to hate themselves because they're in such a rut. And then they make other people miserable. Because they're not having a breakout. That's what prosperity is. It's not everybody being rich. If you look at this verse, it also means employment. That God says, I will prosper you in your employment. I will prosper you in your business, but do it my way. Don't spin your wheels. You're going to wear yourself out. Do it my way. And God will advance you. God will move. God will open the door. God will show you. 
the journey that you're to take. It's his cup that he's assigned to you. We'll talk about that in a few moments. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 12, Abraham looking for a wife for a son. Imagine that. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, this is the servant, who's going to go on a journey to find a wife for Abraham's son. Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. When Moses died, God had a conversation with Joshua. And he said to Joshua in chapter 1 verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the words of God. What's it based on? Meditating on the word of God. Listen, I have no idea how many books I've read in my lifetime. But you know what God's bringing me back to more than anything else? I have books on my desk that I haven't read that I probably will not read. He's bringing me back to the word. It's not that I haven't been reading the word through all these years. But there's a desire right now in my heart. I want to know. I, I want to know. I want to know your will. I want to know what's going to take place on the face of this earth. I want to know the future, God, as far as I can see it as I look through a glass darkly. I want to be able to prophesy at times under your anointing. I want to be able to see into your kingdom. I want to be able to hear the voice of God. I want to be your friend. I watched the film last night with my wife and it was basically this a Christian movie and this lady finds an invitation on her computer and she reads the invitation and she says to her secretary who put this on my computer and the invitation was meet me at this Italian restaurant tonight signed Jesus she said is this a joke so she goes to the restaurant she took a leap of faith. She broke out. She advanced. And here's this man portraying Jesus, having a conversation with her. And that conversation changed her life, and she became a Christian. Ten years later, her daughter is on an airplane going to Portland, Oregon, to go visit a school that she desires to go to. And this man sits next to her, and this other man at the window sits there also. She's in between these two men. And she starts to tell this man at the window how she's mad at her parents because they become religious fanatics. And she begins to tell this man, I just had a, a terrible argument with my parents. And that's how she left. And this man to her right started speaking to her, started asking her questions. You could feel the compassion, you could feel the love, you could feel the interest, you could feel something. And as the conversation went on, they got off the airplane, went to the layover in the restaurant, and he happened to be on the same plane going to Portland, Oregon. Isn't that a coincidence? 
had another conversation. And then little by little, he started to reveal himself. And he wrote a verse down. And she said, well, where, where did you get that verse? Well, he said, from my father. Your father? Is your father a poet? Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But anyway, 10 years later, this girl, who was so against religion, and so am I, religion kills people. Salvation is a way of life. Salvation is a way of life. I'm not here to dictate you about religion. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can go to heaven except through Jesus. That is salvation. It's not do's and don'ts. You'll want to do the right thing if you have Jesus in your heart. I don't have to tell you to do the right thing as a pastor. You'll want to do the right thing. You'll have that desire in your heart because you have deity inside. A list of rules and regulations and giving it to people is of no count. Because you can't keep the law by yourself. I'll make a long story short. She calls up her mother and she says, I had a conversation with one of your old friends. This is 10 years later. So the Lord brought me back to my own life for some reason. Brought me back to that day in Fort Worth, Texas, when God spoke to me from the sky. And he said, I want to be your friend. I said, why are you, why are you bringing this up? Well, why are we having this conversation while I'm watching this movie? Why is this conversation in my heart? Why, why is the, the prophecies that went out on me in West Virginia in a retreat, why, why, why? What's happening? What's, what's my cup? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, I, I, I want to prosper. And I'm, I'm trying to really do what God told Joshua to do, to meditate on the word of God. I, I want to be led by you. I want to follow you more than anything else in this world. I want to know you, like Paul said, that I may know him. I want to know you. Oh, aren't you a Christian pastor? Oh, absolutely. But don't you find it astounding sometimes when you're talking to your wife or your husband or a friend and they reveal a little tidbit of their life that you never heard before? And you say, well, I never heard that before. I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's, it's crazy. That's what I, I want with Jesus. I just want a little more tidbits. I want a few more gold nuggets. You know what I'm talking about? I just want some of that dust of the world, of, of, of heaven, that the wisdom and knowledge of God to fall upon me so that I can be a better preacher, a better person. So I can know him and move in his spirit. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 one of my favorite verses. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The word expected means successful. I don't come all this way for 45 years to become a failure. I, I don't come all these years serving God and loving God and, and doing what he's asked us to do. Pull up stakes and pull up roots and pull up our family and, and go here and go there. I... I didn't come to this place to fail. Proverbs 3 and 1. And this, again, prosperity and the link 
to the soul, the wisdom and knowledge of God. Proverbs 3.1. My son or my daughter, do not forget my teaching. Oh, how many young people are forgetting the teaching of God? Do you think you're going to be successful outside God's word? Do you really think so? It's not going to happen. I, I hate to tell you as a pastor. It's not going to happen for any of us. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Wow. That's heavy. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. You know what God's saying? You know, people say, oh, you know, we have a certain amount of years to live and then we're going to die. You know what God's saying here? He's saying you want to add to your life? You want a few more years with your family? God's not against that. He gave Hezekiah 15 more years when Hezekiah prayed when he was sick and going to die. He said if you honor your mother and your father, he will add to your life. And if you don't honor your mother and father, he'll, want, he'll shorten your life. That's the word. It's not set in stone. It's based on prosperity, which is based on wisdom and knowledge of God. Because it says here, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Don't forsake God. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor, listen to the words, and good success in the sight of God and men. ESV version. So you will find favor. And we've talked about that in the last few months. Favor and uncommon favor. And I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. And good success where? In the sight of God. Not in the sight of people. <laughs> we have a tendency to toot our own horn. We have a tendency to sort of build ourselves up. We, we, we have a tendency, you know, people say, I got the biggest ministry and we got this most this and most that and most people. It's like, well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Who, 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 who are you referring to? What you've done? What you've built? Or what God has done? You know, if you go by the parable of the sower, you know, one in four. People boast about numbers. Numbers. Sometimes it's just bodies in a church. Not disciples. Not followers of Christ. Not people that will lay down their life for the Lord. Numbers. And we just love numbers. Listen. Nehemiah wanted to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. But he worked for the king. Hey, can I put a time slip in? Will, will my supervisor approve it? Or do I have to give a year's notice? Nehemiah sought God in prayer to change the heart of the king. It says in Proverbs 21 and 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithsoever he will. God knows how to change the heart of a human being. If he wants the Mississippi River and its tributaries to go this way, the tributary will go that way, and man can't do nothing about it. That's right. That's right. So he says, Lord, I want to go. Now I'm going to show you in a few moments that Nehemiah had a cushy job. He was a rich man. I'm going to prove it to you in the Word. Four months waiting, four months. He prayed the first prayer in December. Now it's April. And it came to pass in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. 
And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. The first prayer was prayed in December. Nisan is April in Hebrew. And the lesson here is to wait upon God and don't get anxious or do something prematurely that's outside the will of God. That's what people do. They make decisions that are outside the will of God. They don't get the counsel of God and his wisdom and knowledge. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. And they don't seek that out. And as a result, they fail. This word, April, the lesson is here to wait on God. No sad face before the king, because if you had a sad face before the king, the king could have you killed. That's right. The king wanted to be positive all the time. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? I know you're not sick. You would have took a sick day. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. This is the king, the employer, recognizing the employee. Oh boy, we've lost that in society. How many times have you gone to work and you were kind of sad about something, someone was ill in your family or something, and your, your boss or supervisor said, hey, I, I see you're not doing so well today. Can I help you? Yeah. When does that happen? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. When does that happen? You see, God is saying something here. The king knew there was something wrong. And he approached Nehemiah, who already prayed to open the king's heart. Nehemiah was afraid. He says, then I was very sore afraid. He was afraid of a consequence because he was sad before the king because he had never sad before the king. What was happening? This was an admittance on the part of Nehemiah. This is a very important point. This is what the Lord gave me. Let the cracks in your life show. Ooh. That was a great place to say amen. Let the cracks in your life show. Don't hide them. Admit them. Be transparent. See through. Crystal clear. Be willing to be vulnerable. Susceptible. Defenseless. Exposed. And at risk. Wow. That's a real person. Not the mask that we wear. I ask people how you doing good. What? You don't even look good. Get the memo. Can you send the memo to your face? Can you at least send a text? We had a, our wife and I had a friend. Her name was Vicky. And Vicky was probably one of the most transparent persons that you'd ever meet in life. Vicky, how you doing today? Lousy. Right there, she tell you. Lousy. Most people say good. Good what? All your problems are solved? Everything is cool? Everything is smooth? All the kids are behaving? You love your boss? <laughs> we lie. We wear a mask. 
Because we play pretend. And God can't bless pretend. God can't bless what we're trying to portray to other people that I'm cool. I got it all together. You know what? Not here. And I want to tell you something, folks. As you get older, you're going to come to the place where you're going to have to depend on him even more That's right. to get up off of a chair and walk without pain. Come on. Trust me. Each and every day. God opens a door. And it said unto the king in verse 3, Let the king live forever. Hmm. Why should not my countenance be said when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, hmm, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? He's telling the kings, you know why I'm sad? And I know that my life could be at stake here. I want to tell you why. Because where I come from and, and where my forefathers are buried, we got real big problems, King. Because the wall is broken and the gates have burned down. Listen to the reply of the king in verse 4. Nehemiah 2.4 Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. This king had a lot of smarts. And he had the gift of discernment to ask the question that was needed at that moment. You know what he was saying? You know, Nehemiah, you've been a loyal servant, man. I, I've allowed you in conversations about government. I, I, I've showed you and taught you some of the workings of my kingdom. I trust you. I care about you. The king was saying, what can I do to help you and your people? Nehemiah is going to break out now. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. And I said to, unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. You see, Nehemiah was led back to Jerusalem with one idea in his heart. Restoration. Let me go back there and help restore the land where my fathers are buried. My grandfather, my great-grandfather. King, I want to make a request that you send me on an 800-mile journey one way and send me to Judah to help rebuild the wall. But he didn't stop there because you know what prosperity is? He asked God to make him prosperous. And I gave you the definition of breaking out and moving forward. The king gave him favor in verse 5. But God, in verse 6, gives Nehemiah uncommon favor. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. What's going on here? The king's heart's changed. The king's attitude is for Nehemiah and for the people in Judah. The queen was present. The Bible says in Proverbs 16:9, a man's heart devises, deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is important. 
Prosperity is allowing God to devise your way and order your steps. And I see so many people fail. And I know they're going to fail. I could write it down in a book and I can predict it and prophesy. That the move that they will make will be a failure because it's not based on God's word and the cup that God has given them. Proverbs 16.9 in the HCSB version says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, I look back on my life and thank God as we were exploring God's will that God didn't send me here or send me there but close the door. That we were open to his will and to drink of the cup that he gave to me and my wife. So many people make the error and the mistake by acting, listen to the word, impulsively, thinking it's God's will, and it becomes a setup for failure and sometimes for the rest of their life. So Nehemiah now has the permission to go on an 800-mile journey. Now listen, folks. There, there was no cars. There, there was no transportation. This is an 800-mile journey. And you're going to bring your entourage with you. But not only that, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, he prays an absurd prayer. He makes an absurd request. He says, moreover, I said unto the king. Now he's really breaking out and stepping forward. If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. I'll explain that. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God. I love that part. The good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. You know what was happening here? You couldn't just travel to the next place. If you had a letter from the king, who's the most powerful man in the world, nobody was going to bother you. If you showed the governors and those people that stopped you at the checking points, I have a letter from my boss, from my king. Not only did he have letters to pass safely through these places, but he asked the king to give him timber to rebuild the wall and a house for himself. Yes, Nehemiah eventually became the governor of Judah. Check it out. He had vision. He had vision. He knew that divine providence and destiny was in his life active. He could have said, oh, thank God, I, I, I got permission from the king to go. But what are you going to use to build? Rubbish? Burnt out timber? No, he said... I got to get uncommon favor. God's given me favor to go, but now he's given me uncommon favor to get the materials to go and to go there safely. It's a breakout. It's prosperity. It's God showing Nehemiah, the good hand of my God is upon you. Hmm. What was Nehemiah asking for? Letters of favor to the governors? Timber to build, which was granted by the king because the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. Soldiers were provided by the king for Nehemiah's protection. 
This is a trifecta. He got it all. As we pray, and as we seek to do the will of God, now this is a very important part of the sermon. As God's plan is revealed to us, always expect opposition. We are foolish to think that God can give us a plan and that it's not going to be opposed. Look what it says in Nehemiah 2.10. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, heard of what? Nehemiah said, I'm coming, buddy. As a new sheriff in town. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You know what this is? This won't work. We'll stop you. It's called a critical spirit. This can't be done. We never did it that way before, Pastor. Either we're going to walk by faith or we're going to walk by sight. Hostility will be encountered when you set out for God. Anything you try to do for God that he's put into your heart to prosper your life and your family is going to be met with opposition. Sometimes from your family, sometimes from your friends, sometimes from people that you work with. I want to show you some rules when God gives you a vision that I believe Nehemiah was given by God. You must press into the presence of God when opposition appears. I can remember our pastor saying, I don't know how many times, I will not be defeated. When we were building the church in Blacksburg, Virginia, it was a rainy day. And we said to the pastor, are we, are we going to do the cement for the sanctuary? He says, we're going to need the cement. And the cement trucks would come. And of course, there was dirt and soil and mud. And as those trucks left the church property, as we were pouring cement, the police were outside on the road every time one of those trucks came into the road to give them a ticket for soiling the road. No joke. Pastor said, Keep on coming with the cement. And we had these big machines like they had a fan in them. And we would go around the cement and we worked hard. We got ticket after ticket after ticket. He said, son, I will not be defeated. I will not be defeated. And he built, we built that church with him. I didn't get a paycheck. He bought me lunch every day. I showed up early and left late. It was a job. For nine months, I learned to live by faith. God provided. Hey, I've been there and done this. I'm not a novice. I didn't fall off the turnip truck last week. I know suffering. I know rubbing two nickels together. I know breaking into my, with permission from my daughter Christina to go into a piggy bank to get enough money to go buy a loaf of bread. Listen, I've been there, my friend. But God's hand was upon us. And you know, when he went to court, he beat every ticket. Because he said, I will not be defeated. He instilled that in his people. So look what happened. Nehemiah had to overcome a critical spirit. He knew as soon as he arrived in town, there's going to be people there that are not going to like him. 
Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I and some few men with me. I may preach a little longer here this morning if you bear with me. Neither I told any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went to the gates of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. You know what he was doing? He went with a few men. He didn't tell anybody what he was doing. And some people get real mad when you don't tell them what you're doing. Well, what's the, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. I do know, but I'm not telling you. Because it's between me and God right now. You know what Nehemiah was doing at this moment? He was evaluating and reevaluating and assessing the situation. And you know, sometimes you've got to go sit down somewhere and don't tell anybody what you're meditating upon or what vision or dream God has given in your heart and allow God to process it through your spirit. He confided only in a few men. A few. Don't share your vision and dream with everyone until the time is right. Don't make no big announcement. Don't tell the world, this is what I'm going to be doing. Follow the steps that God orders. Listen what happens. Nehemiah did all of this in the night. He evaluated, he assessed, he meditated. In verse 17 of chapter 2, then, then, when, after, after he did all this, then said I unto them, you see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire, come, come, and let us, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. You know what he was saying? Call upon those that will support you. Call upon those that will support your vision and your dream and make it a reality. Put those people on your team. Don't put opposition on your team. It will destroy your vision and your dream because there's always somebody that wants to come and rain on your parade. I'll talk about that in a minute. You see what he's doing? His testimony motivated people. He assessed it. It's a mess. This is a big job. But the hand of God, the good hand of God is upon me. And what does he say to them? Let us rise and build. What does the word rise mean? It means to rise up and to stand up, to endure, to be proven. Do you have it? You got the mustard in you. You got the gumption in you. To continue on when all hell breaks loose against you. When the enemy sends the kitchen sink against you. When opposition comes against you. Are you willing to press through the wind and press through the rain and press through the trial and through the tribulation? Are you willing, my friend? 
Been there and done that. Nehemiah was saying to them, let's get to work. No excuses. Let's complete the job. No excuses. I can't. I'm not available. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? You're going to fall off the boat and drown in the river if you're not careful. Because there's only one thing that's more important in our lives than anything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't text me your excuses. I'm putting it on tape. Don't, don't tell me your nonsense. Talk to God. I'm not your priest. I don't hear confession. Come on, come on. Come on now. It's time, my friend. Can't you see what's happening in the world? Can't you see what's happening in our own country? Can't you see the hatred? Can't you see what's going on? We're living in la-la land. I'm too busy. Too busy for God. You're too busy. Because your children's future is at stake. And your children's children will be at stake. If this church across America doesn't wake up, the sleeping giant, as I call it, doesn't wake up, we're going to be in for a great fall and a great judgment. And folks, you can't go against the word of God. You can't go against the word of God. I had a vision one time that scared me. I had a vision of people in America, and I don't know where it came from. I can't tell you if it's God or not God, but I'm going to tell you. I had a vision of American people being put on a boat and sent to foreign countries. It scared me. I said, Lord, what does that mean? Does it mean we're going to be scattered? Does it mean we're going to be under Babylonian captivity, so to speak? What does it mean? There's like an earnestness in my soul. God, show us what we're supposed to do. And stop playing games. I'm not saying we shouldn't relax. I'm not saying we shouldn't go on vacation. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a good time with our kids. I'm not saying that. But when patterns appear in your life, and those patterns equal excuses, and you have no motivation to rise up and build or do something for God, you're in trouble. You're the boxer in the ring that got stunned by the enemy and you don't even know it. Verse 19. When Sambalat and Haranite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, heard that they were going to build, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I and said unto them, The God of heaven... He will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, you are out, people. You don't belong here. You're not going to be part of this. You are the opposition, and God will exclude you from this victory. Hmm. There will always be someone in the crowd to rain on your parade. That's a great time to ask God to open your spiritual umbrella. Praise God. Hallelujah. And move as God leads you so you don't get the rain and the dust of their nonsense upon your life. You got to block it out. You can't pay attention to it. Because it will defeat you in your spirit and you will lose your prosperity 
and you will not break out. And there's people in our lives sometimes that want to come and destroy the vision and the hope and the dream that we have in our heart. Listen, I've come too far to allow someone to do that. I don't care. I've come too far. I have a mandate by God, whatever that mandate is, and for how long that mandate is in existence. I have to do something for him that he's called me to do. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished in 20 and 5th day of the month in 50 and 2 days. In 52 days, 52 days, the man of God got his people assembled. And we'll preach more on this down the road and how it was done. Got them assembled to build a wall in Judah. Now I want to just touch on a few things here before I close. The cupbearer, what's the significance? It says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to thy prayer of thy servant, as I read in verse 11 numerous times. And he said, for I was the king's cupbearer. What was the job of the cupbearer? The job of the cupbearer was to give drink to the king, irrigate, to water. He was a high-ranking official in the king's court. This, this Nehemiah was no, like, you know, he was up there. This was a prominent position. This was a, permission, a, a position of, of trust and loyalty. And he served the king. He was what you would call a trusted individual. And he was privy to the inner workings of the kingdom of the king. This is us. This verse has a twofold meaning. We are also cupbearers. We give drink to people as God gives drink to us. We give wisdom to people as God gives wisdom and knowledge to us. We give hope to people as God has given hope to us. Freely we have received that we freely give to others. This is based on God's word. Prosperity is based on God's word. Okay? Being successful is based on God's word. Nehemiah was a confidential personality. You know what we've lost in society today? Don't ever tell someone uh, to keep this in confidence if you know they're not going to keep it in confidence. You know, all of us have experienced this, that you've told someone something in confidence, that something happened to your friendship, and years later they use what you said to them in confidence against you. That's right. Isn't that a sad commentary? And that happens. They'll go, their coattails are on fire with news. Did you hear? Did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? About someone's calamity? About someone's distress? About someone's breakup? Someone's marriage? What what did you hear? Did you pray? Did you see if you could help? Did you see if you could be a blessing? But we spread gossip. We spread gossip. Nehemiah was a trusted official. And he had a high-paying job as described in the following verses. Let me read to you for a few moments. I'm taking some liberty this morning. Nehemiah chapter 5, 8. He says, I told them. I told the Jews. See, there were some wealthy people there. He says, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners. You know what Nehemiah was saying? I took money out of my pocket to buy back some of your brothers and sisters that you threw out there to become slaves again because they couldn't pay you a debt that you charged exorbitant interest on. Follow this. There's some stuff in here. It says this, and now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery. Again, 
We, we purchased them and now you're selling them back? You got to be kidding me. Does this mean that we have to bury them, buy them back again? Nehemiah is willing. Then they said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong, Nehemiah said. Is there no fear of God left in you? Don't you care what nations around here or our enemies think of you? I and my brothers and the people working for me, listen, I and my brothers and the people working for me have also loaned them money. He took money out of his own pocket. <laughs> and loaned them money. Listen. But this gouging them with interest has to stop. The Jews were not supposed to charge their people interest. If you wanted to lend someone money, you gave it to them without even thinking if they were going to return the money to you. And you never charge them interest. That's right. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes right now. And forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They said, we'll give it all back. What? What is he saying? You're going to do this. You've taken advantage of people. You've scammed them. Give it back. They said, we'll give it all back. We won't make any demands on them. We'll do everything you say. Then I called the priests together and made them promise to keep their word. I want witnesses, Nehemiah said. Then I emptied my pockets, Nehemiah, turning them inside out and said, so may God empty the pockets and houses of everyone who doesn't keep this promise, turned inside out and empty. Everyone gave a wholehearted, yes, we'll do it, and praised God. And the people did what they promised. From the time King Ataraxas appointed me as their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th to the 32nd year of his reign, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers used the governor's food allowance. Listen to what he's saying. He said, Governors who had preceded me had oppressed the people by taxing them 40 shekels of silver, about a pound a day, for food and wine while their underlings bullied the people unmercifully. But out of fear of God, I did none of that. I had work to do. I worked on this wall. All my men were on the job to do the work. We didn't have time to line our own pockets. I fed 150 Jews and officials at my table in addition to those who showed up from their surrounding nations. One ox, six choice sheep, some chickens were prepared for me daily. And every 10 days, a large supply of wine was delivered. Even so, I didn't use the food allowance provided for the governor. The people had it hard enough as it was. Remember in my favor, oh my God, everything I've done for these people. Oh, I love that. Remember in my favor, oh my God, everything that I've done for these people. Amen. Nehemiah was a generous human being. And he took out of his own pocket to give to the people and fed them every day. Look how many people he fed a day. 150 people a day. He wasn't afraid because the good hand of God was upon him. You see, he was a cupbearer for the king, an influential position, privy to the king and to the business of the inner workings of the king's kingdom. We're cupbearers for the king of kings and we're privy to his voice. You listen. We're privy to his voice and the inner workings of his kingdom because he calls us friends. Amen. He calls us friends. How do you bear your cup? 
Is this the cup I choose to drink? A few more moments. Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. What's he saying? Every one of us has been issued a cup. I don't know what's in your cup. Sometimes God adds to the cup. As time goes on, listen to this word that the Lord gave me. Drink the blessing that God gives you and not the poison the enemy supplies. One of the jobs of the cupbearer was to make sure that what was in the cup was not poison. I want to say this again. Drink the blessing that God gives you and not the poison the enemy supplies. Listen to this now, further word. Don't let poison kill you, sour you, bruise you, cause you to retreat. Don't let the poison tame your faith. Don't allow the poison to allow you to go through the motions and become pessimistic, critical, sarcastic, and callous. Because the poison is the scheme of the enemy to destroy you and those in your home. I want to say this one more time, my friend. Drink the blessing that God gives you and not the poison the enemy supplies Don't let the poison kill you, sour you, bruise you, cause you to retreat or tame your faith. Or go through the motions thinking I came to church and what a great thing I did for God today. How did you come to church? How did we worship? What was in the cup that God wanted you to respond to The cup represents what God is getting you ready for. The cup can seem glorious at times, but also bitter, sweet, and lonely. The mother of James and John came to Jesus in Matthew 20 and 20 and said, I have a request that one son sit on your left hand and one son sit on your right hand. And Jesus said, that's not my doing. It's up to my father who sits on the left or to the right. That's right, that's right, come on. But he turned around and he said this. But Jesus answered in verse 22 of Matthew 20 and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, You shall drink. You shall drink. He was assured of these disciples. You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. What was Jesus saying? I can count on you disciples to take your cup individually and drink it. And this is what Jesus is requiring of the church today. He's saying, can you take my cup? Can I be assured, praise God, that my sons and my daughters will drink that cup and do the will of God no matter what the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters 
He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That phrase that says my cup runneth over means to be satiated or saturated. To have or drink one's fill to drench a person to water abundantly. You will prosper and God will overflow your cup as you get his wisdom and knowledge because God will show you exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You go outside that wisdom and knowledge and I guarantee you 100% prophetically, you will fall flat on your face and you will make decisions that you will regret for the rest of your life. I'm telling you as a man of God, I'm telling you, I'm prophesying this morning in this verse and there's people that's going to be listening in this, to this sermon and so on. You make decisions outside the will of God and you will fall flat on your face. You will not prosper. Because the Bible says as your soul prospers. And that means getting and gaining the wisdom and knowledge of God and obeying it. This is your cup. This is my cup. And listen, that cup that God gave me and to my wife many years ago has not been easy sometimes to drink. Listen, it hasn't been easy. But you know what? We listen to the word of God and like a flint, as Jesus, the Bible says, as a flint, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And that's what we need in the last day. As a flint, we have to set our face toward the kingdom of God and say, God, no matter what, praise God. I want to be with you. I want to know you. And I want to spend time in eternity with you. Praise God. Come hell or high water. Nobody should be able to stop us. No power. No force. No principality. No devil. No demon. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth should cause us to fail. But God and the good hand of God being upon us will cause us to prosper in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you and thank you for listening.